Section 20. The French Revolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The French Revolution by Hilaire Belloc. Section 20. Chapter 5. The Military Aspect of the Revolution. The revolution would never have achieved its object. On the contrary, it would have led to no less than a violent reaction against those principles which were maturing before it broke out, and which it carried to triumph. Had not the armies of revolutionary France proved successful in the field? But the grasping of this mere historic fact, I mean the success of the revolutionary armies, is unfortunately no simple matter. We all know that, as a matter of fact, the revolution was, upon the whole, successful in imposing its view upon Europe. We all know that from that success, as from a germ, has proceeded, and is still proceeding, modern society. But the nature, the cause, and the extent of the military success, which alone made this possible, is widely ignored and still more widely misunderstood. No other signal military effort which achieved its object has in history ended in military disaster, yet this was the case with the revolutionary wars. After twenty years of advance, during which the ideas of the revolution were sown throughout Western civilization and had time to take root, the armies of the revolution stumbled into the vast trap or blunder of the Russian campaign. This was succeeded by the decisive defeat of the democratic armies at Leipzig and the superb strategy of the campaign of 1814. The brilliant rally of what is called the Hundred Days only served to emphasize the completeness of the apparent failure. For that masterly campaign was followed by Napoleon's first abdication. That brilliant rally ended in Waterloo and the ruin of the French army. When we consider the spread of Grecian culture over the East by the parallel military triumph of Alexander, or the conquest of Gaul by the Roman armies under Caesar, we are met by political phenomena and a political success no more striking than the success of the revolution. The revolution did as much by the sword as ever did Alexander or Caesar, and surely compelled one of the great transformations of Europe. But the fact that the great story can be read to a conclusion of defeat disturbs the mind of the student. Again, that element, fatal to all accurate study of military history, the imputation of civilian virtues and motives, enters the mind of the reader with fatal facility when he studies the Revolutionary War. He is tempted to ascribe to the enthusiasm of the troops nay, to the political movement itself, a sort of miraculous power. He is apt to use, with regard to the revolutionary victories, the word inevitable, which, if ever it applies to the reasoned, willing, and conscious action of men, certainly applies least of all to men when they act as soldiers. There are three points which we must carefully bear in mind when we consider the military history of the revolution. First, that it succeeded the revolution regarded as the political motive of its armies won. Secondly, that it succeeded through those military aptitudes and conditions which happened to accompany 
but by no means necessarily accompanied the strong convictions and the civic enthusiasm of the time. Thirdly, that the element of chance which every wise and prudent reasoner will very largely admit into all military affairs worked in favor of the revolution in the critical moments of the early wars. With these points fixed, and with the readiness to return to them when we have appreciated the military story, it is well to begin our study by telling that story briefly and upon its most general lines. In doing so, it will be necessary to cover here and there points which have already been dealt with in this book, but that is inevitable where one is writing of the military aspect of any movement, for it is impossible to deal with that aspect save as a living part of the whole. So knit into the national life is the business of war. 1. When the revolution first approached action, the prospect of a war between France and any other great power of the time, England, Prussia, the Empire, or let us say Russia, or even Spain, was such a prospect as might have been entertained at any time during the past two or three generations of men. For pretty well a hundred years, men had been accustomed to the consideration of dynastic quarrels supported by a certain type of army, which in a moment I shall describe. I have called these quarrels dynastic. That is, they were mainly quarrels between the ruling houses of Europe, were mainly motivated by the desire of each ruling house to acquire greater territory and revenue, and were limited by the determination of all the ruling houses to maintain certain ideas inviolate, as, for instance, the sacredness of monarchy, the independence of individual states, etc. Though they were in the main dynastic, yet in proportion as a dynasty might represent a united nation, they were national also. The English oligarchy was in this respect peculiar, and more national than any European government of its time. It is also true to say that the Russian despotism had behind it, in most of its military adventures, and all its spirit of expansion, the subconscious agreement of the people. Still, however national the wars of the time preceding the revolution moved within a fixed framework of ideas, as it were, which no commander and no diplomatist dreamed of exceeding, a. the crowned head of state would have some claims against b. the crowned head of another state, with regard to certain territories, c. the crowned head or government of a third state would remain neutral or ally himself with either of the two. If he allied himself, then as a rule it was with the weaker against the stronger, in order to guarantee himself against too great an increase in the part of a rival. Or, again, a rebellion would break out against the power of A in some part of his dominions, then would be, somewhat reluctantly, as the almost unlimited right of an existing executive was still a strong dogma in men's mind, tend to ally himself with the rebels in order to diminish the power of A. Human affairs have always in them very strongly and permanently inherent the chief character of a sport, the interest at any rate of males in the conduct of human life is always largely an interest of seeing that certain rules are kept and certain points won according to those rules. We must therefore beware of ridiculing the war of the century preceding the revolution under the epithet of a game 
but it is true that warfare and honorably true that it attempted limited things in a limited manner it did not attempt any fundamental change in society it was not overtly since the thirty years war at least a struggle of ideas it was conducted on behalf of known and limited interests for known and highly limited objects and the instruments with which it was conducted were instruments artificial and segregated from the general life of the nation these instruments were what have been called the professional armies the term is very insufficient and in part misleading the gentry of the various powers mixed with whom were certain adventurers not always of gentle blood were the officers that led these forces and for the major part of the gentry in most european countries the military career was the chief field of activity the men whom they led were not a peasantry nor a working class still less a civic force in which the middle class would find itself engaged they were the poorest and the least settled some would have said the dregs of european life with the exception here and there of a man usually a very young man whom the fabled romance of this hard but glorious trade had attracted and with the exception of certain bodies that followed in a mass and by order the relics of a feudal lordship the armies of the period immediately preceding the revolution were armies of very poor men who had sold themselves into a sort of servitude often exciting and even adventurous but not when we examine it minutely a career that a free man would choose the men were caught by economic necessity by fraud and in other ways and once caught were held no better proof of this could be found than the barbarous severity of the punishments attached to desertion or to minor forms of indiscipline so held they were used for the purposes of the game not only in what would make them serviceable instruments of war but also in what would make them pleasing to their masters strict alignment certain frills of parade and appearance all that is required in a theatre or in a pretentious household appear in the military regulations of this time the end of section twenty